Uni Taster Days proudly presents the Uni Guide. For students, parents, and teachers, this is the University Guidance Podcast you need to support you on all things university. Warm welcome back, listeners, to the Uni Guide Podcast. This is episode 17, and in this episode, we're going to focus on how you apply to university with a special guest who can give us insights and tips and guidance for all people concerned, whether you're supporting that young person applying or whether you're applying yourself. Before we do, and before we meet our guest, I'm going to welcome back my trusty co-host, of course, the one and only John Cheek from Uni Taste Days. Welcome back to the pod job. Hi Tim, hi Chris. Yeah, really well, thank you. I didn't have any voice last week, lost my voice completely, so it's quite nice to A, be back on the podcast, but B, to have my voice back, so... Uh, looking forward to this, looking at university applications. Great to have you back on, John, as always. And that brings us to our special guest. So that is going to be Chris Rogers. Welcome to the pod, Chris. As our keener listeners will be aware by now, we'd like to ask the same question at the start of the podcast and also at the end. And the first one we'd like to start with is what do you do and why do you do it? Just like to share with us. So my name's Chris. I'm the Student Recruitment and Outreach Manager at the University of Chichester. My role takes in quite a varied kind of level of tasks. I work on direct recruitment, so bringing students into the, to the university, so things like careers fairs, um, UCAS conventions, all those sorts of things. Um, and then I also work on kind of more outreach-focused activities, so things like raising aspiration and kind of the widening participation kind of agenda and and ensuring students knew, know everything that there is to, about university to help inform their decisions. Um, the main reason I probably do my role, I've worked in various roles across schools um, and, and started my kind of working life as a youth worker. And I think I've always been involved in, in, in education in some kind of way or another, whether that be informal or formal. And it's always been about supporting students to kind of make the most of, of, of the opportunities that they have. So that's probably where my own ethos and kind of motto sit as well. Thanks, Chris. And it's so important that the, the work you do, and we'll, we'll explore that a little bit in terms of this podcast. But one thing you, you touched on then, which I'm just really keen to explore a little bit further is, as you mentioned, your previous role as a youth worker. And I'd just love to, to hear more about your own journey to, to university, you know, prior to the role you've got now and, and the process you, you took from school, college to, to university. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, not, not a conventional route that I had. Um, I left well, I was a young worker as a youth worker, first and foremost. So I kind of worked and volunteered on projects with, with disabled young people and bits and pieces, which got me into the youth work role. I then took on various roles and ended up as a full-time youth worker through going through kind of levels of training. I did MVQs, bits and pieces like that. Um, and eventually I ended up going to university through my role. So I was lucky enough to, I suppose, do what would nowadays would be considered a, a degree apprenticeship, albeit a few moons before uh, degree apprenticeships were probably a, a true a true thing, um, and yeah, and I was very lucky to have it funded through work and those sorts of things as well. So, yeah, I did apply to go to university when I was a lot younger, um, and I, I kind of chose not to go. And I then was, like I say, very lucky to get into a job where I was uh, kind of have a, a nice trajectory of training, I suppose, to get me to where I am today. Thanks, Chris. One actually now is is kind of. Oh, different to your own journey and actually look at the conventional route that students would take in relation to university so do you mind just giving, an over, giving us an overview of the the university application process so like what are the different different parts of it that students will encounter as, as part of their own journey to 
towards university? So, um, I mean, the first parts are probably the more informal parts. Um, we work alongside a lot of schools and colleges and students to do that side of research, which is really, really important. It's really key to, to really get into and understand what it is that they want from university. And I think as part of the process, that's probably one of the most important. Um, and then you go into the more formal sides of, of the process, which comes under kind of um, UCAS and using the uh, UCAS hub where you'll be making your actual formal application. So putting in things like your formal details, um, you're going to be looking at having references from teachers. You can be putting your grades, your education history, your employment history, and obviously importantly, making those five choices or up to five choices, I should say. And that's obviously uh, looking at the courses that, that you want to apply for. And yeah, and, and, and it all comes together on the UCAS hub um, and then eventually obviously submitting it um, through your college or your school if you're part of that or independently if you are making that application on your own that's really handy so two follow-up questions based on on that answer just there so firstly you, you mentioned about up to five choices so it'd be really useful to get your 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 thoughts on on where the up to comes in and then the second part to that chris is is you also mentioned about ucas so it'd just be really useful for, for maybe parents more so than students and teachers that listen to this that might be less familiar than than most other people about what ucas is it'd just be really useful to get your thoughts on on the role of UCAS and what that is? Yeah, definitely. So if I take that first one about the up to five choices, you don't have to use all five choices on a university application. Um, obviously, most of us who work in that field would encourage you to do so or to use as most of those choices as you can. And then there are some restrictions where you can only make a certain number of choices. So if you're applying for it's like medicine and veterinary, you can make up to four choices and then if you want to make a fifth choice, it can be in, in a kind of unrelated, related but unrelated, if that makes sense, uh, choice. Um, and then you've also got things like Oxford and Cambridge. If you're applying to either of those, um, then it means um, that you can only choose one of those. But um, yeah, choosing up to kind of five choices, we would always encourage that. And obviously, we would always encourage that those five choices are closely related which sometimes um, some students like to test our capabilities of helping them to to uh, shape and form applications for some courses that aren't necessarily directly related. Thanks Chris what about UCAS then? UCAS is the University and College Admissions Service so it is um, a, a national body also a charity that is responsible for um, applications to undergraduate courses in the United Kingdom. They do have um, involvement with kind of further afield, uh, the EU and, and international, but predominantly their main role is, is to coordinate and kind of disseminate those applications that go um, into universities. So come out to all of us as, as higher education providers. And they also have a whole wealth of um, services around that that are about supporting students through um, the, the higher education kind of application journey as well. Thank you. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a student. So and, and just encounter like to, to look more at the role of UCAS. So say you've got Jimmy. Jimmy is thinking about university and wants to study at the University of Chichester, for example. And they he just wants to go to your institution, doesn't want to consider any other universities, and he knows exactly the subject he wants. Can he apply directly to the University of Chichester or would he still have to go through UCAS? Yeah, it's an interesting one. You can apply directly to universities. There are some universities that would prefer you to just apply through UCAS. It kind of goes sometimes on a bit of a case-by-case -case basis. It's always worth doing your research, talking to universities, but over generally, all universities will take direct applications through their websites. 
usually you're looking at things like online forms. It will have a similar process that they will want all sorts of different elements to it um, along the same lines as a UCAS application. And I wouldn't necessarily say there's any bonuses in applying directly as there is to UCAS. There's kind of merits of both, but ultimately it's, it, it, it's that journey and that support towards applying for a course that you are going to be looking at applying um, with the kind of the same step-by-step -step process as you go through things like personal statement, things like a reference um, and things like putting down all of your education history, employment history and bits and pieces like that. So in terms of the application, so going back to students that, that most students, if they want to go to university, will apply via UCAS and, and you know, some of, some of the advantages there is they can select, as we discovered earlier on, that you can select up to five institutions and, and then UCAS are then the signposting tool to, to send that application to those institutions. But one thing students do encounter, and we'll talk about deadlines in, in just a second, because there's, there's various deadlines that students have as part of that process. But, but one thing I'm sure a lot of students will be thinking whenever they, they're in school and they speak to their careers advisors and they hear about the, the UCAS deadlines is, is why do the applications start so early? So, so given that the main UCAS deadline, Chris and White, is in January, isn't it? So, so if a student is, is, say, wanting to start university in September, why do they have to start their, their application so early? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it, there's kind of more than one side, I suppose, to this question is, is kind of from, from the side of universities, from the side of volumes of applications that universities receive, and also from the side of schools and colleges and the support that goes into enabling students to make those decisions. As I said at the start, there is a big process around research. There is a big process around visiting universities, understanding what you want from a course, um, understanding what you want from modules, what you want from syllabuses, any, anything you're going to be learning, you do in a kind of transitional long-term process. So I think that's probably one of the first things to understand. As I said, so that students get the best support from, um, from their schools and colleges, it's done in that long kind of process. They're able to take them out to visit uh, UCAS conventions, um, and a UCAS convention is where um, a large amount, if not most of the universities and higher education providers in the UK are in one place for students to um, go around, chat to, one-stop shop, kind of ask questions and bits and pieces all in kind of one um, environment. And then they can start to whittle down those choices um, and move on to the next part, next part of the process, which is going and visiting them, open days, taster days, all those sorts of bits as well. And that's all before they even kind of generally will get towards doing the major bits of their actual formal application as well. Adding to the mix things like a personal statement, um, obviously, and on top of all the other things that they're studying for at college, um, it kind of has to sit in amongst all those things as well. So, yeah, I think that's probably why there's kind of such a long process to lead up to it. Whenever I hear a personal statement, I, I really wish, like, I, 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 I had kept a copy of mine because I'd love to know what I put in my personal statement going back in those, for two reasons. First, one, just now I speak to a lot of students about them to see actually what I would have done myself, but, but be actually to remind myself on, on what I did, you know, up to that age of going to university that, that you know, I'd think there's, there's, there's value to a, a personal statement. Thanks, John. You've got me thinking there. Um, I definitely didn't keep mine. I don't remember much of the process other than staring at a computer screen and a piece of paper for a few hours before I got going. But one thing occurred to me just then is deadlines. There's so many deadlines involved. Why do you think this is, Chris? In terms of deadlines, why so many deadlines? Um, I think we probably uh, continually tell students, you must meet this one, you must meet that one. And they, they ask, why, why, why? 
but it is about keeping students on track through what is already a very busy period of, of, of their schooling, their education, their academic study. It is about making sure that they do hit certain points. Applications will need to be into um, certain courses, so things like Oxford and Cambridge, medicine, veterinary, dentistry, um, that will have that earlier deadline. And that's so they can start to assess those applications in a, in a good in a good time and turn them around to to obviously give students responses in a timely manner. Schools and colleges do need to do need to be taken into account. They will have pressures on them, and they will also be writing things like references for students. So singing their praises, saying how wonderful they are before they obviously uh, get their get their offer of the course and hopefully help them to get their offer of the course. Due to the sheer number of applications that universities obviously receive, there needs to be that steady process so that we can turn around, um, as I said, offers and start to say to students, we'd love to have you if you get these grades. And then obviously the next steps after that are our student, are the students then considering those offers. So it's, it's all about kind of a timely process so students can start to make those decisions, but also have time to make those decisions, I would say. I mentioned about Jimmy earlier on that, that he was considering universities. So say for example he he decides late on that he wants to go to university so therefore he's missed the january deadline he's he, he, he's he's therefore you know, maybe at a disadvantage to it in comparison to to some other students but but what happens if say if a student does miss the deadline any, any thoughts on what happens then yeah definitely obviously um the the kind of the the teachery side of me would be we would encourage students not to miss deadlines, but we know that things happen. We know life chucks chucks things at us, uh, and unfortunately, these do these these things do happen. First and foremost, what I would always say is, don't bury your head in the sand. Do talk to people. Do reach out to the to the the avenues of support that you have. Little Jimmy needs to be talking to teachers, talking to his advisors, and also talking to potentially the universities that he might still be interested in or, or has got part applications in. We've talked already about the kind of UCAS deadline, the what we call the equal consideration deadline, and that's the kind of timeline where as long as your application is in it to that point, then it will be considered equally amongst all the others that come in as well. There will still, for most universities, be the chance to apply to them after that deadline. It will just be classed as kind of outside of the equal consideration deadline. So don't ever be afraid to contact universities and say, still thinking of making an application. You'll find most of them will still have kind of options to apply to them online uh, outside of those windows but it will just be that you'll be kind of behind those that came in before that January deadline but I think most importantly I just echo that point is it's it's about not burying your head in the sand and it's about reaching out to to kind of avenues of support because there will still be options out there to you Um, everyone will kind of want to support you and make sure you can make the most out of an application and get to where you want to be. Thank you, Chris. Great advice there. Please do reach out. Support is always there. In terms of deadlines, we've just touched on them. Do you mind sharing some of the the, the key deadlines for 2024? As 23 at the time of recording, people have already applied here. Yeah, definitely. So those two kind of application deadlines that are for 2024 entry will be the 16th of October 2023. And that will be for those courses which are at the Universities of Oxford and Cambridge. And, and most courses in medicine, veterinary, science and dentistry. So we, we talked earlier about those, those being restricted to four choices and you can add a, a fifth choice at a later date if they're, they're, they have a different deadline. 
And then you also have the um, what you what you'll hear termed as the equal consideration deadline, which is the 31st of January 2024, uh, and and that's for the majority of other courses. There are some kind of um, different dates for things like some arts-based courses and bits and pieces, but what I would always recommend is you check the website of the institutions that you're applying to. They will be able to give you the most current deadlines, and of course use the uh, the UCAS website, which will also give you the key deadlines for the year that you are applying. One thing, Chris, we try and do with the podcast is, is try and make things as, as almost as simple as possible. And, and one word that you mentioned then, which is, is a word that as universities, we hear a lot, and that's the equal consideration deadline. Do you mind just explaining a little bit what, what that means? Yeah, of course. So the equal consideration deadline is kind of a, a cutoff for, for us saying that all the applications received up to that point will be considered equally for want of a better word they will all be looked at with the same eyes and they will also be looked at kind of um, for all the similar places that are on that course those that come out or come in after that deadline if they do um, almost will, will be put to the bottom of the path for, for, for kind of a, a simplistic way of putting it so it's about those that come in up to that date will all be given uh, equal consideration and looked at. Okay that brings us to the end of part one join us after this short break for part two where you can expect more information, advice and support on the university application process. Welcome back to part two. We are talking applications and John has prepared some quick fire questions for our guest, Chris. So over to you, John. Chris, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to ask you some quick questions and it'd be really useful to get your thoughts. So the first one is what is the best advice you could give a student thinking about applying to university? Definitely. I think people probably get fed up with me saying this, but I would always come down to research. I think the most important part of those initial stages is is going about your research, looking at what do you want from the course? What parts of the course do you want to study? Modules, syllabuses, all those sorts of bits and pieces. One of the figures that I always use in schools and colleges uh, are that there's over 50,000 different courses um, across the the UK at uh, higher education institutions. So as you can imagine, you need to do your research to make sure you're picking one of those courses that's exactly right for you. Uh, and as I say, I think people probably get a little bit fed up with me saying it, but research ultimately, I would say, is, is, is the biggest part and the best bit of advice I can give. I completely agree. I think the more research that students can do, the, the better their decisions will be. And, and it's research. It's the, what a lot of students do in relation to uni is they worry about how much it costs, but actually it's time. Like you make money, can't you? but you can't get that time back. Absolutely. And I'm talking to parents and carers and students here. If it isn't too cringe or isn't too stressful, you can do that with each other and help and support. As as Chris has said before, go on to the UCAS website. It's really helpful. And you've got the the hub there and also advice on how to do the application, but also find out all the information and research required to make that informed decision. And of course, four E's, we've stuck them in the show notes of the episode where you're getting this podcast from. In terms of our listeners, we have students listening, but we also have parents listening and also teachers listening. So there'll be parents and teachers that are thinking, you know what, I really want to support a student. We'll go back to Jimmy. I really want to support him, but they perhaps don't know where to start. So do you have any, any, any advice in terms of the, the best way they can find a pre- effective support to students considering university? Yeah, definitely. I think um, whenever I'm at careers fairs with those younger years that are potentially starting that journey I think one of the things I'll start to talk to them about is what do they enjoy as I said in the last question there's there's such a multitude of courses if they can start to think about what they enjoy then they might start to understand what they want to do at university 
sometimes it's courses that they don't even realize is out that, that are out there so they don't necessarily understand they can study i think the other thing that i also say as well to, to students is, is is um parents teachers carers they'll probably be that voice of reason at the time you might not feel like it you might think well what are they asking what what why would you ask that and uh, how embarrassing but actually parents will ask things that you don't necessarily think about but potentially a few months down the line or a year down the line you appreciate that they did ask um uh, and that they did did maybe push you to find out so yeah it's, it's it's been that voice of reason and not being afraid to potentially be that voice of reason okay that brings us to the end of part two join us after this short break for part three for the all important hints tips and resources regarding applying to university <music> Welcome back to part three of episode 17 of the Uni Guide, and we're exploring applying to university with our special guest, Chris Rogers. Chris, in this section, we like to share tips, hints, and resources. One of the things I wanted to kind of kick off with is maybe about references. So, in the future, or maybe previously, or maybe even now, uh, we're talking to advisors, teachers here about maybe having to create references for students. Um, any advice there? So um, I'm, I'm quite lucky that I'm managed by um, the, the, the head of our admissions team. So we quite often have conversations about this, particularly as, as I'm probably the one who interacts with, with teachers and advisors. And then he and his team read the references that come in. But we were talking about it being about um, most useful to highlight an applicant's potential. Those are the sorts of things that they're looking for, how they might be thriving at um, A-levels and BTEC. And then also if they've had any particular challenging or mitigating circumstances, those are the sorts of things that can really help us understand a student's kind of position as well. Thanks, Chris. And one other, like there'll be a lot, if anyone's following the news, says there is changes coming in relation to personal statements. So do you mind just giving us a really quick, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a dedicated podcast looking at this that's just going to focus on the changes, but do you mind just giving us a snapshot of what is happening and why it's, why it's happening? Um, yes, as you said, the news has kind of reported all sorts of different um, versions, but um, currently they are in the middle of a consultation process still, so it, it is early days and there are things being informed, but it's not kind of clarified yet. But the process is changing to try and make um, personal statements simplified and fairer for all students, um, particularly those who might not get as much support to, to complete a personal statement. Thanks, Chris, and I appreciate it's early days, but what sort of changes... Have you heard about anything you'd like to share here? They are looking at kind of changing it to rather than an open ended personal statement to look at maybe six questions that will direct students down a kind of a way of answering them rather than just giving them full scope to, to answer it in a very open way. Thanks a lot. But that I'm all right, Chris, that's that's not going to be impacting students that are going to university in 2024. So with that in mind, do you mind just giving us some tips that, that students that are applying to university to start in 2024 might find really handy when it comes to writing their personal statements? One of the biggest things I think I start with is take your time, um, start early, get make sure that you give yourself a night, enough time to, to go through many reiterations, many different uh, formats, make changes, add in bits and pieces, people feed kind of feedback to you. Um, and with that in mind, don't base your experience of a personal statement on others. Everyone will have a very different experience of writing a personal statement. Some people will get it in a couple of attempts. Some people might take three, four, five. As we said earlier, it'd be interesting to, to go back to our, to our uh, kind of applications and see how we did. 
it is all about you. So focus on your strengths, focus on uh, focus on what makes you uh, unique to, from, from those other people, which is, is, is very easy to say, but you will know best what your strengths are. Getting across why you've chosen a subject is quite a key thing. So um, that's that's kind of one of the biggest parts is getting across your passion and your enthusiasm for uh, the, those subjects or, or career pathways that you're looking at. Um, I always say in, in my talks as well, it's about analysing, not just describing. I quite often will read personal statements where people talk about the experience and tell us how lovely it was, but it's also about analysing and picking out those skills, um, picking out the um, what skills you've learned, what skills you developed and how they will be useful as you make your way through university and, and academic study. And then also about being original, which again, very easy for, for those of us who are, who are talking to students to say, but it's about thinking um, about how maybe openings might be cliche. If you're thinking along the lines of ever since I was young or all those kind of sentences that you think, oh, well, maybe, maybe everyone else is going to say it like that. It's about thinking those sorts of things. Chris, I was just, you know, reflecting on what you were saying there and it's uh, rung a bell with me because it's what I used to call the, the Goodfellas opening gambit to a personal statement. You know, as you say, ever since I was young, I always wanted to be. But, you know, you have to ask yourself, did you, you know, when you're applying to be a marine biologist, did you, did you always want to be that since the age of like four or five? Highly unlikely, uh, but also spare you know, a thought for the reader as well. So admission staff who have literally had to read thousands and thousands of applications as well as personal tutors, maybe with drafts. Start off creatively, get the reader's attention, as you say, uh, and be original, to, um, but most of all, be you. So as I said about being uh, kind of unique and different, it, it's very important that you um, kind of make, make a point, make some, put, put in some evidence so about how you've developed those things. And then also kind of describe and, and pull on uh, on where those those things are going to be helpful and, and useful. Um, and as one of the things that I mean, when I first started in this role and I started to read personal statements, one of my colleagues at the time also said that a really good kind of tack to have in the back of your head is, is also think if you can write it. So what can someone else write it? Um, have you done something differently to others? It's, it's always thinking about how you can stand head and shoulders above other people and why you are the, the, the best person to, to be applying for that course. Such brilliant approaches. Um, yeah, really like the, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's all about, I, I think I, I, I was chatting about personal statements to someone and they said it's all about basically less about what you've done and more what you've got out of it. And there's various approaches to so say what approach I really like and there's another one there's the and, and chris will be aware of this the abc so where you say what the activity is where you say what the benefit is and, and then the c is how it's relevant to the course so activity benefit course there's loads and loads of different approaches but in my opinion the the best 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 bit of advice which which chris touched on is is about spending time like when it comes to research looking at universities and and spending time then but when it actually comes to the personal statement not leaving it to the last minute making sure you spend time on it because it's a really good, useful piece of writing that might be useful in terms of jobs in the future. And, and it's actually a really nice way to reflect on what you've done up to a certain age. So I'm a big fan of the personal statements. I know there's changes coming to them and there's, there's good reasons for those changes, but whatever approach you go to, um, they are super important. So with the podcast, the final question we like to ask every single guest is, is a reflective one. So knowing what you do now, can you provide free tips that you would give your younger self about university? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I could probably go into to, to an arms list of them, but the, the kind of three top ones are probably linked back to some of the things I've been saying, saying throughout. But research, I think, is probably one of the biggest ones when I was younger. 
many moons ago. I suppose there wasn't quite the same platforms and bits and pieces that you can use nowadays. It was very much order the prospectus. But nowadays, I think we're really, really lucky. You have things like Unifrog, you have online search engines, UCAS Hub has been developed so much. There is so much at students' fingertips that they can access nowadays. Although the pandemic was a, a pretty terrible time, I think one of the things that's come out of that is the advent of using more technology to, to engage students, whether that be virtual tasters, virtual open days, before they then physically go and visit as well. So I think number one is utilising all different forms of research, virtual and physical. Number two, potentially about kind of knowing how to sell yourself. I think it's one of those skills that not necessarily gets easier as you get older, but I think you find ways of ways of doing it and ways of working with it. But um, I think one of the things that I would say as well is, is getting others to help you. Sometimes sounds a little bit cringe, a little bit cheesy to say to someone, what are my good skills? What am I, what am I good at? But they will bring out things that you're probably not thinking about yourself and you probably can then go, oh, okay, yeah, actually I am quite good at that. Or they can say, I like it when you do that and you're really good when you do things like that. I think friends, teachers, careers advisors, they're all going to have different things that they can they can give you and then they can start to form things like personal statements. I think finally as well for me, it would probably be exploring all the options. Um, there are so many different routes through to university and higher education nowadays, not just your typical route of going straight at 18, going straight to university that route, but there are things like um, degree apprenticeships all those sorts of routes I was lucky enough to have done something similar to that in my day but I think nowadays I would definitely know that was a clear pathway and I, I potentially wouldn't have applied when I was younger I would have just waited to that point when I was kind of kind of at university but knowing what those different routes kind of give you so degree apprenticeships funding bits and pieces going to be different but you might want to go full time and have that different experience. It's just kind of understanding, I suppose, what the different nuances are with, with, with the way that you attend university. Chris, that's absolutely wonderful. So the final thing that's left for me to do is just say a big thank you for your time. Um, thank you very much, Chris. No worries, guys. Take care. You've been listening to The Uni Guide, the university guidance podcast which supports students, parents and teachers with all things university. If you've got any comments, questions, suggestions, or absolutely anything else, get in touch with us using info at unitasterbase.com. But until then, please do stay tuned, like, share, give us a follow, and we look forward to seeing you soon.